Brady. This is Club Hell. Thanks for coming, kids. Then, Hello, this is Notes from the Back Row. A cinema podcast of commentary, questions, answers, dreams, fears, joy rides, hell rides, and so much more. So strap in for a veritable cinematic Coney Island of the mind. Hello and welcome to Notes from the Back Row. Yoroshiku onegaishimasu. Uh, no, I'm not having a stroke. That's just a little Japanese welcome because today it's the return of post-anime club. Uh, my name is Carlo. And since we're going to be talking about Japanese cinema today, I have with me Jenna Ipkar. Jenna. Ohio. <laughs> not really. <laughs> it's not really Ohio. More of a kombanwa kind of oh. podcast. <laughs> but uh, A plus for effort. <laughs> in between episodes of this um, segment, Carlo has learned he's now fluent in Japanese, by the way. So if, you, <laughs> if you're wondering you, what happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. I wish. I wish. No. Um, Anyway, so for today's show, uh, we will be talking about the works of Juzo Itami, uh, which inevitably also means his wife and actress, Nobuko Miyamoto. Um, as for why we decided on Itami and Miyamoto, it's just kind of a thing that happened, like not really planned out. Um, I think I showed Tampopo to Michelle, partially under the guise of like potentially rediscovering this movie, seeing how... Um, Basically, like the rest of the world, I'd only seen Tampopo of his movies, and that's been like a decade ago. And I don't quite remember how I felt about that at the time. Uh, I probably liked it, but maybe not enough to really dig deeper in his filmography. So, but yeah, this time I was just way more open to the whole broken up structure of Tampopo, which kind of like dips in and out of the sketches and back to the main story. And I think we just done the episode on Ozu when I popped in Supermarket Woman shortly after, and that basically sealed the deal for me. So I was like, okay, Jenna, we've, we've got to cover this guy next for post-anime club. Yeah. And I only knew Tampopo as well, which was like, I were just everyone in high school. I remember was obsessed with that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I hadn't <laughs> looked at it since either. I just, and all I could remember quite frankly from it was the egg scene, <laughs> which yeah. we'll talk about, <laughs> but um, so yeah, I didn't know anything about him and, and mm. I really didn't, I uh, certainly nothing about his other movies or his life or whatever. So, um, but I remember that Tampopo was just so weird. So I figured like, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm down. Yeah. This 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 fits in with um, the general Carlo and Jenna aesthetic. Yeah, so. exactly. It's it's um, it's a good discovery. Like digging into Juzo Itami, just because most people only know Tampopo. This felt like not just interesting for us to get into, but also like uh, educate other people a little bit about what else he's done, and and he's done quite a few. Um, so maybe a little brief history on Juzo Itami before Itami. Um, I say before Itami because Guy was born in Kyoto in 1933 under the name Yoshihiro Ikeuchi, son of Mansaku Itami, aka Yoshitoyo Ikeuchi, also a director known for his satirical portraits of Japan, uh, just like his son later in life. Huh. Um, yeah, uh, passed away in 1946 from tuberculosis, though his father. Uh, so yeah, Juzu Itami was not Itami's given name. 
Uh, in fact, when he was already working in the movie industry, he was nicknamed Itami Ichizo by film producer Masaichi Nagata. And Itami would later himself change that um, Itami Ichizo to Itami Juzo, which is basically the same name, but the kanji for Ichi, which means one, uh, he just changed that to Ju, 10. The kanji for his name, Juzu, it basically means 13, like 1 and 3, but he changed that to 10 and 3. So that's 1 and 3 or 13, basically. Um, I don't know why this name changed. That like, was my first question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the number 13 does not have a negative connotation in Japan, even though 1 plus 3 adds up to 4, which means death in Japan, she. Mm. So, yeah, I'm not sure why exactly. Maybe you felt that Ichizo f uh, sounded a little young in comparison to Juzo. But then again, naming your child Ichiro, which is like the, common, the more common version of Ichizo, right. Im implies first child. And, you know, Japan is all about seniority. So uh, there's no explanation to be found on the internet on why someone would do this. But yeah, right. um, but yeah, having said all that, Itami's career could have actually gone like an entirely different direction. Um, at the end of the war, he was basically being groomed to become a future scientist at the Tokubetsu Kagaku Gaku, uh, which is the special scientific education class. But that class ended up closing down in 46, right around the same time that his father passed, passed away. So he was kind of forced to change lanes. Um, so after failing the entrance exam for the College of Engineering at the Osaka University, Itami worked as a commercial designer a television reporter, a magazine editor, an essayist. And he would then go on to study acting at the Budai Geijutsu Gakuen in Tokyo. Uh, he continued to dabble in acting, kind of a jack of all trades in the TV and movie industry until he made his feature film directing debut with 1984's The Funeral, a.k.a. Ososhiki, um, at the age of 50, no less. Can I just say I love late bloomers and I love jack of all trades because it makes me Same. feel like I have a future. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, it gives all of us uh, procrastinators a little bit more hope. Um, not even procrastinator, but just like, <laughs> which I am, but like, I think it's kind of BS, not knocking anyone who is this, but I think it's BS when people are like, well, I knew when I was four, I wanted to grow up to be a bloody blood. I'm like, man, when yeah. I was four, I wanted to be a dog. <laughs> <laughs> and here you like, are. Yeah, you know, come on, like, that was not a bad choice. It just, you know, didn't get me anywhere. So anyhow. Yeah, no, no, I know what you mean. I'm, I'm the same as well. Like, uh, sometimes your break just doesn't come until later in life, hopefully. So um, <laughs> get cured, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, basically, up until that point in 1984, when he made the funeral, um, he felt he wasn't really ready yet to direct a movie despite obviously being interested he was interested in directing and he grew up around movies like basically all his life with his father being a director right um actually the first thing he ever did directing wise was in 1962 he did this half hour short uh film called rubber pistol uh gomu depo which i watched and maybe you might be more into it than i was um i don't know it felt a little aimless uh, you know, just basically an half an hour of college students just goofing off. Yeah, I, I wasn't too impressed with that, which which was kind of a bummer because I was very curious, like, oh, okay, what did he do in 62? And why did it take him 22 years, 
more to like direct a full feature film you know i wonder if there was some pressure to a degree of like you know do you like like his his father like feeling like he didn't want to follow in his father's footsteps and then of course you know decades later you're like ah shit this is all i'm good at <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah who knows i'm sure there must have been like some pressure even though his father wasn't around anymore like uh, i mean like i say he passed away in 46 and then 40 years later he would make his directing debut basically but yeah, from that point on, he'd end up directing and writing 10 feature films. Uh, first of which, like I said, being The Funeral, um, which already starred Nobuko Miyamoto, one of two other, uh, three other, no, three in total actors. He would basically alternate between his films. Uh, so you've got, like I said, Nobuko Miyamoto and the others are Tsutomu Yamazaki and uh, Masahiko Tsugawa. Like these two, three are like, a red line throughout his movies like you can see at least one of them in every of his movies Ososhiki aka The Funeral 1984 uh, based on Nobuko Miyamoto's father's funeral it's a very popular film in Japan won five Japanese Academy Awards best picture best director best screenplay two others I wasn't able to track down this movie didn't really get him like any international exposure uh, contrary to his second movie, which we'll get to in a bit. But yeah, this one's kind of like an episodic breakdown of a family attending a typical Japanese three-day funeral of um, the character of Tsutomu Yamazaki's father-in-law, um, which is uh, a Japanese funeral is typically held in the deceased person's home. And it's, it's mostly always like a three-day affair. Uh, Nobuko Miyamoto stars as... Uh, Tsutomu Yamazaki's wife, so it's her father who's passed away. So kind of based on real life-ish, I'd say. I um, hope some of it isn't. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's always hard to say how much he, he, he got out of actual real life. But yeah, what, what, what did you think of uh, the funeral, his debut film? I like the funeral. I, you know, it's interesting because in some ways I can... This is a, a very universal film mm -hmm. as far yeah. as dealing with just the the sort of the banality of funeral rituals and then mm -hmm. just the the aftermath of death and you know everything from just dealing with your relatives who mm -hmm. can't make decisions to um extended family that has issues that you have to now have like that you know they can't put away for five seconds for you to all just come together and mourn mm -hmm. or um you know people that are like the that curveball mourner who cries more than the next of kin's even crying, <laughs> um, you know ex ex expenses of course how expensive it is the obligations awkwardness bored children intense mm. emotions all of that stuff it's completely universal and you can this movie is is has such a dry sense of humor and it's so fun to watch mm. those those bits of it for me I mean I have to say like. I, there is something just so terrifying about death. And then the second it happens, the aftermath, all, there's all these practical things that you have to deal with mm -hmm. afterward. And it's so strange. And even just like, you know, going through the person's stuff and, and things like that. It's all, you know, it, it's sort of sad and funny and boring and weird. And, yeah, and he yeah, totally yeah. captures that in this. Yeah, yeah. Specifically with extra focus on the Japanese way of dealing with all of that stuff, like being very um, within the guidelines and, and doing everything according to ceremony and stuff. Um, like right off the bat, he was just, 
he had a really keen eye on satirizing like Japanese mannerisms. Um, right. Which which is just it's 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 very very funny and very very smart. I, I feel. But then there's like these weird little moments that are so that that basically then overtake all of Itami's filmmaking and become mm -hmm. the main focus of his film, such as like there's a weird car chase in the beginning where they're just yeah. trying to hand off a sandwich from one yeah. car to the next. <laughs> I still don't know what's up with that. <laughs> I have no idea. And then the thing that I hated, which was there's this crazy sex scene in the middle of this oh, yeah. funeral movie that like I'm I just I just there, there's no point to it. And it's semi explicit. It's and... like it's kind of like that typical dysfunctional Japanese family thing that you see in a lot of like, um, like obviously you won't see this in, in an Ozu mo movie, but later on uh, in the eighties and nineties, uh, you, you'd see a lot of that in like Japanese movies, like this dysfunctional family thing, people who just like uh, be adulterers or, or just yeah, I don't know why that's such a, such a recurring thing, but yeah. I mean, like, I could be okay with that, but there's just, it basically stops time in order to show you this scene. And for me, it just sort of took me out mm, of it. Like, I, yeah. I, if you cut out that whole sex scene, you could have left the, like, the beginning and the end of it. But the sex mm -hmm. scene to me was just too much. It was just, like, totally footballed yeah. in there in a weird yeah, way. Yeah, but... yeah. It's, it's maybe a little uh, gratuitous on, on Itami's end, for sure. Well, which is totally a theme with his movies as as yeah. we go on. There's always someone getting her boobs out at like some. That's true. To That's be fair, true. though, they're typic. It's typically not sexy. It's typically really bizarre. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. The only other thing about this movie I have to say, I mean, number one, I think it's super. Everyone should check it out. The other thing, mm -hmm. though, they're, they're, that scene with the they that scene where they meet the cremator. Yeah. And he starts talking about like his dreams was hilarious. Like that was my favorite part of the whole it's... movie. And it reminded me of that scene in like Annie Hall with uh, Christopher Walken driving Woody Allen. And he's talking about like, you know, looking too far into the lights and driving off the road and burning the car. You know, it's just like one of these like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, was the, the cremator guy, was it like the, the monk guy? I know at one point in the funeral, it's been a while since I've seen it. There was this Chishu Ryu of the Yasujiro Ozu movies shows up in the funeral at a certain point as like this oh, guy. Yeah. But I don't remember if it was the cremator or some some other character. But yeah. no, the cremator was like they, when they literally just start cremating the body, and then the kids mm -hmm. run into the back office, oh, okay, and then he's yeah. just talking about like you know sometimes I wonder if the person's alive in there, and then I imagine them scratching <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 on it, yeah, yeah. and you're That's like, a, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a different part. Yeah, like yeah. they have and a loved one in there. there. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I also uh, really remember, uh, really uh, remember liking the funeral a lot. Uh, I think it was the third Itami movie I'd seen at that point. Um, but yeah, anyway, as I've mentioned before, he'd follow up the funeral with Tampopo um, to international acclaim. To this day, uh, it's when people talk about Juzo Itami, they talk about Tampopo. Uh, came out in 1985, a year after the funeral, uh, again starring Nobuko Miyamoto as the titular, titular Tampopo, uh, also Tsutomu Yamazaki and Watanabe Ken, uh, who would go on to make it 
fairly big in Hollywood. I mean, he's been in a bunch of movies. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's he's the only the, guy we got. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's been in Detective Pikachu, so... There you, you know. go. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Tom Popo is about a pair of truck drivers played by Watanabe Ken and Yamazaki um, who happen onto a decrepit roadside fast food stop selling ramen. And the widowed owner... Tampopo, played by Miyamoto, begs them to help her turn her establishment into a paragon of the art of noodle soup making. Uh, also kind of an episodic nature to this movie. There is an arc to it in which Tampopo tries to save her failing business. Um, but yeah, very much a foodie favorite, this movie. Um, or, or just people who like weird movies. Uh, um, not too abstract or anything, but still, there's like a bunch of like non sequitur scenes that are just, yeah, like I said, they're just comedy sketches about various food situations. Um, yeah, uh, was this the first time that you saw Tom Popo? I think it was. It was the second, but this is the first. I like. I don't remember. Like, I'm pretty positive I watched it in high school because I at least saw mm. many scenes from it if I hadn't seen it. Okay. But um, this was like, I, I didn't remember anything from it. So, oh, okay. but I have to say that watching it this time around and especially now that um, ramen is so readily mm -hmm. available, especially in New York City, <laughs> like in good, I'm talking good ramen, not just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, I bet, I bet. Like, I literally had to stop this movie halfway in between, <laughs> go get ramen and then yeah. restart it because it was the, the like the thirst was too powerful. Like I could I not it, yeah. watch this movie like, oh, my God, the, the amount that they're talking about food. To be fair, this is part of why I don't watch Food Network shows, because <laughs> it makes me angry to watch them take all of this time and care and make something beautiful. And then I can't mm -hmm. eat it. So, yeah, I could eat this. So this was pretty good. Um, yeah, yeah. I like, I mean, Tempopo is weird as hell. It, and this it is, is, it's on Criterion. It you should absolutely check it out. If anything, you know, tell your friends about it if, if they don't know about it already because you're going to mm. blow their minds with it. <laughs> totally, totally. It's Everyone just so to weird. It's just so mm. strange. And there's also like these weird, as you said, um, sections in it about other stories that are sort of happening parallel. Mm -hmm. And. Some of them are are downright sad, and it and it's really interesting how he walks that line between, like, just bizarre satire, mm -hmm. really like believing in the the tiniest detail making the day. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah, like absolutely. I don't even know how to explain it. It's just so no, like I know what you mean. I know what you mean. You yeah. care about the mushrooms, you know, like you want. Yeah. To know. <laughs> It's and not even about her, her business. You're like, no, 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 no. You got to cook that soup. It's like something like that. So there's a lot of animal deaths in this movie. Please be aware. Yeah, yeah. Well, like on screen animal deaths, there's one turtle homicide. Very unfortunate. That yeah, very kinda sad. Kind of takes you out of it. But um, yeah, not a very vegan movie, uh, I'd say. But still, I mean, uh, Michelle and I were both vegan and Michelle still loved it. Like she just loves the art of making food uh, food preparation and especially like the japanese way of, of, of being so uh, particular about it and so like detail oriented so when i showed her tampopo she just fell in love with it um it's so it's so inspiring and it's so cute and uh mm -hmm. nobuku uh, miyamoto is just adorable She's, she's amazing in this and she of course totally and she only gets better as all of these movies go on and she was yeah she was his wife anyhow long long mm -hmm. before these movies right 
Yep, yep. Married in uh, 69. Um, yeah. And it, it fits so. into my theory of male directors who cast their wives in amazing roles that women otherwise <laughs> don't get. <laughs> <laughs> because she ha she has so many fantastic roles and this is such a good one too the fact that she's the the hero of this story yeah yeah it's a little bit different from other movies like she's the hero of the story but she she the arc is that she becomes the hero of the story um right there's more growth in Tampopo than I'd say there is, a, for example in supermarket woman where she already like starts off being like this super capable and yeah, like right. I say, like everyday superheroine, basically. The the part that made me sad, but it's also like a perfect little like moment of truth mm -hmm. <laughs> is it cuts away at one point in the movie to the scene of this woman who's dying. And then she like the kids are like um, asking her for dinner and she literally gets up off of her deathbed and she cooks them one last meal. And it's the type of oh, thing yeah. where it's very typical, like... <laughs> I know it's funny because it, it's typical, just sort of like, yeah, mom's dying, but, uh, you know, I'm really hungry. Come on. Yeah, you know, food like, on the table. Come on. <laughs> and then, like, basically she makes this, like, one meal, and then she literally drops dead. And then yeah. the kids start screaming and crying, but the father then is, like, demanding that they finish the meal. Like, they, they like, pick up their shit and, like, finish mm -hmm. the meal, and then mm -hmm. they'll deal with the dead body. <laughs> And it's, it's it's all so at dark. once, like, you know, it's perfect. And then it's also this sort of really sad thing about just connecting with your loved ones through food, you yeah, know, like, because yeah, yeah. part of his thing is like the food's warm, your mother's still alive and the food, like, you know, eat it, you know? And so it was like, oh man, like this is <laughs> too true, man, too true. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. But yeah, after Tom Popo, he would go on two years later to uh, a taxing woman and its sequel a year later uh i know you haven't been able to get to those despite your best efforts jenna i know but, i tried yeah yeah i mean like i said a plus for effort in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> a c plus for effort maybe but <laughs> nah nah it's all ace for me ah, phew. um <laughs> so yeah uh marusa no ona aka the taxing woman and the taxing woman's return um these movies were spurred on by the huge tax bill that itami got from the japanese irs for the successes of ososhiki and tampopo um so yeah flip side of the uh, of the coin i guess uh, stars Nobuko Miyamoto as the titular um, freckled face tax inspector uh, trying to bring down a guy by the name of Hideki Gondo, uh, the owner of a chain of love hotels. Uh, again, played by Tomo Yamazaki, uh, the guy with the cowboy hat and Tampopo. Um, this wasn't necessarily my favorite Itami, even though it's like the second most known of his movies, but I feel that's the case because it came directly after Tom Popo. So people were still like riding that high and trying to maybe publish it outside of Japan. But still, uh, there hasn't, honestly hasn't been a single Itami movie I didn't at least like. Uh, so I also found this one like very enjoyable. I have not seen the second one yet. Uh, the sequel, Taxing Woman's Return. I just checked the letterboxed summary real quick. It's just about a new unrelated tax fraud case involving a religious cult. Uh, Nobuko Miyamoto playing the same character. Um, for, for Taxing Woman, is it that she... I, I did manage to watch the first, like, 10 minutes of this movie. <laughs> what did you get from those? <laughs> well, I was wondering, like, is so what was the satire in it? 
Like I want to watch it, but I but is it basically just that? Is, but is she bad or is she good or or? Uh, yeah, he kind of leaves it in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I think one of the first things she has to deal with is like this mom and pop store that's basically uh, misusing funds. Like they're basically eating their own food and they're not paying for it sort of so that's kind of like a, a, a tax situation no no and they they really get mad at her like why are you coming after the common man yada 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 but then the ultimate overall arc is like i said about this guy who owns a bunch of like love hotels and it's just like um so there's some satire in that but there's also these movies get very formulaic mm-hmm. um and and like not in a bad way but just that they're very they're very clearly laid out to like um here's the situation and then here is you know the first obstacle and here is the second mm-hmm. and here is yeah. the third and here is yeah. the fourth and here and it's like <laughs> sometimes i did find them i i found like at least of the ones that i watched like you could have easily cut a half hour out of them and i would have probably enjoyed them just as much or more <laughs> they're a little long but but they're still good um... like i i couldn't like point to anything specific and say cut mm-hmm. this it's just that like the the formula is so overt but then the yeah, the like it, style it, is so good. The acting is also always awesome. So I don't know. It's weird. So even something like you know a, a movie about a woman tax collector where the tax mm-hmm. collector is semi heroic is like all right, I'll watch <laughs> yeah. it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I know what you mean. Like there are definitely times uh, during these movies, like they're all two hours ish, and that's not my favorite thing to our movies. Yeah. But when they're this well made and this like well mapped out to me they're like well oiled machines and i don't know like itami as a writer as well like he knows how to write characters that you just enjoy watching but they also still feel real even though they're surrounded by like bizarre situations and then again when you have like nobuko miyamoto at the heart of most of these makes them infinitely better to me totally as well so yeah they're probably flawed in in some aspect but uh, the positive doesn't uh how should i say the negative points don't outweigh the positive so i focus on the positive as i always do they're definitely they're all simple movies but that that's Mm, their that's the joy of them so it's true yeah yeah you know if you're expecting some like super cutting edge like crazy satire like you're not gonna get that but you are gonna get some like really simply laid out like solid satire (laughs) yeah 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 agreed agreed so there's one thing i kind of wanted to mention despite it not really being part of the curriculum so in 1989 between uh two of his directorial efforts itami would also produce a movie called sweet home uh this is a video game tie-in basically produced by Itami and also starring him and Nobuko Miyamoto. So I felt it was worth mentioning at least. Wow. Um, Yeah, this is basically like a haunted house horror movie directed by Kiyoshi Kurosawa, who would later go on uh, to make movies like Cure and Pulse, like these big critically acclaimed horror movies. Uh, Well, like thriller horror movies. They're not like really hardcore horror with like crazy effects or anything. But this movie does have crazy practical effects um designed by none other than dick smith 
um, who is one of the absolute legends of practical effects. And he did not half-ass this movie one bit because I doubt this movie would be very exciting without him. It's, it's not the best movie, but his effects are so insane and it adds so much to the movie. Um, yeah, this entire thing kind of feels more like an American 80s horror movie, like directly inspired by stuff like Evil Dead and Poltergeist. Huh. There's like there's like even some Jaws in it. Uh, because Juzo Itami's character is basically this old guy, like an actual old guy makeup, um, kind of a mix of Quint from Jaws. He has this song that he keeps singing, like as he goes into like the, the dimension where the demons are coming from or whatever. I mean, we um, all do yeah yeah i mean gotta look on the bright side of life <laughs> as you're gonna battle the demons um but yeah kind of a mix of like quinn from jaws and the crazy ralph character trope from uh friday the 13th you know like those slasher movies sounds amazing yeah it's 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 interesting um it's also interesting that this movie apparently went on to inspire shinji mikami to make the playstation game resident evil aka oh, biohazard shit. yeah yeah that's kind of like now i don't want to watch it now i'm afraid <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean this is pretty much impossible to get your hands on mm -hmm. because this was only ever released on vhs to this date but yeah if you can find it and if this sounds appealing to you like what i just explained then i would recommend it even knowing that it's a little slow um but it's unlike actual Juzo Itami movies. Like, it definitely feels like a movie that he just produced and starred in. Maybe he did some editing, but he did not write this movie. And you can tell. Like, it's a little, little two-dimensional. A little too two-dimensional, like a mm -hmm. real dopey horror movie. But, so, I don't know. If you can roll with that, sure. Definitely worth a, worth a watch. Or if you can re-release it on on D DVD or Blu-ray and, and remaster it, you know, here's your chance. Who, me? <laughs> anyone. I, I'd love to, anyone I'd, listening. I'd love, I'd love to do that. <laughs> yeah, Carlo, do yeah. it. Come on. But yeah, anyway, uh, to get us back on track to actual directed by Juzo Itami movies in 1990, a year later, he went to Ageman, a.k.a. Tales of a Golden Geisha. Uh, so Agemon is a term for a woman who is said to bring good luck to the man she is near or has sex with, basically. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's <laughs> kind of a, uh, yeah, n not a great term. Uh, it seems to have originated with the release of this movie. And one theory is that the term Agemon is a portmanteau of Age from the verb Ageru, Agemas, to give, and then Man is a shortened version of the Japanese word for vagina. Nice. <laughs> so basically this movie's title is The Giving Vagina. Same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't know what to do with that, but okay. I haven't seen this movie yet, so I can't really comment on it, but I, I thought it was worth mentioning. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll, we'll just let, every, we'll let everyone sit here and think about that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll add it in like a really awkward pause <laughs> after that explanation. <laughs> um, but yeah, summary on Letterboxd says it's another satire, this time on the corruption and influence of money in Japanese politics, hmm. uh, starring Nobiko Miyamoto and Masahiko Tsugawa as they star as uh, Miyamoto stars as a geisha and Tsugawa as her unfaithful sometimes partner, because. Men, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> what, what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, 
Anyway, um, so yeah, two years later, however, a pretty big one in Itami's life and career. Um, Mimbo, aka The Gentle Art of Extortion, 1992. So uh, Mimbo, which translates to Hopes of the People, basically the Nobuko Miyamoto show, even though it takes a little while for it to show up after the opening, there's a, a stretch where people are just like flailing around and she needs to come in and 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 save them all from being uh, incompetent basically <laughs> um but yeah not just incompetent this movie okay so like a little backstory about this one maybe um on may 22nd six days after the release of this anti-yakuza satire itami was attacked by five members of the gotogumi which is a shizuoka based yakuza clan who were angry at itami's portrayal of yakuza uh, this attack apparently also led to the government cracking down on Yakuza more. Yeah, so this movie apparently, I mean, this movie, watching it, mm. I thought it felt a bit like a Sunday special procedural on how to just, like, legally deal with the gangsters. <laughs> it kind of is, and kind of is. Yeah, yeah. totally is, an, which I thought was sort of weird. It was enjoyable. It's it's kind mm -hmm. of fun. It's actually, I think, if you, if you want to know how to deal with a bully or something, this is a pretty great <laughs> um, go-to. But uh, I thought it was also a little dangerous because he's sitting here yeah. making the Yakuza look like, you know, total dopes. You know, this yeah. is, um, I guess we won't say anything bad about the Yakuza just in case they're all fans uh, they're of the not back listening. row. But... <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, this is the type of thing where I, I feel like we could talk about, like, current day politics and, and you know, this would be very useful. And then mm -hmm. that kind of, you know, attitude uh, dealing with people yeah. like that. But um yeah, then I then I googled it because I thought maybe I was missing something. But yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, it turned out that um, yeah, there's he, there's context for sure. Yeah, and, and he was punished hard for this movie. I mean, like he got yeah. his face completely slashed from like mouth to ear or something like horrible, and had a scar. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, and that like basically that part of why he made this was just because he thought that people weren't dealing with the Yakuza and they were being mm -hmm. too passive. And he was basically just trying to tell everyone how to deal with them, which, yeah. you know, makes me then wonder because um, of this. And then as we go on to these movies, this was something that followed him throughout his entire life. He, he, he could did. not yeah. get away from, from the Yakuza after this. They were so pissed off, which he then in an interview with the New York Times back in the 90s had said, this just goes to show the fact that I was right, that this is yeah, why exactly. <laughs> yeah. that these guys yeah. are so after me and so angry about this, because if it wasn't true, then they would they would have ignored it. Mm hmm. But um, yeah. And I, I mean, in that way, it was sort of interesting because it makes me think of, you know, this this idea about like when when does art and comedy intersect with mm -hmm. like meaning and violence. You know what I mean? Like from mm -hmm. everything from like the whole Charlie Hebdo situation to um, John Oliver, you know, getting yeah. like, like suing people or like, you know, or Stephen Colbert, like in his super pack, mm -hmm. which I don't know if you're, this was a while, a couple of years ago, but you know, so it's interesting to see this sort of when comedy crosses over into real life to then causing, damages to changes and potentially mm -hmm. damages to you know to him to to especially to uh itami i mean like this <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 hard you know like itami was just he 
through watching his movies, he just strikes me as this kind of guy who really believes in like doing the right thing and standing up for yourself. And even to the point that he had to pay a price, which we'll get into a little bit later more. But yeah, it's... He's definitely a strong, a strongly masculine kind of guy, Mm -hmm. I think. He has a lot of like machismo that he's trying to deal with, which is funny because he's always doing it sort of via Nobuku Miyamoto. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, it's kind of interesting to, to see. I don't know if that he thinks that softens sort of the fact that he's basically just throwing up middle fingers to the Yakuza for this whole movie, but... Yeah, 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 it's definitely interesting. You should totally watch it. But yeah, I really enjoyed this movie for what it was. Like, I mean, it's it's a very like conflict-heavy movie, and and knowing the context, it's like his most loaded movie yet to this to this point. But it also like people, it, it really resonated with people in Japan. Like when it came out, it was a huge hit, and because of he the way he was showing people how to stand up to the Yakuza, like by proving their all talk. This was also one of the first movies to not actively idealize the Yakuza. Right. Which was often the case in Japanese cinema up until definitely the 80s, like, and even in the 80s still, uh, there was a financial boom and that also caused the Yakuza to uh, to be like more aggressive in their in their mo they wanted a piece of the action and they started uh moving in on people more and being more aggressive and and people didn't really know how to deal with that you know like japanese courtesies are like they do not enjoy conflict or dealing with conflict but yeah then itami sort of showed them the way kind of like uh ended up being a martyr <laughs> in that sense yeah i kind of wish there were more gangster movies that were like this in America, mm. you know what I mean? Like it's the sort of whenever we have movies that are critiquing gangsters, they tend to spend too much time indulging in the fun of it. Yeah, <laughs> which is fair, but it's also like this movie definitely does not. There is no redeeming qualities to the Yakuza in this whatsoever. Yeah, they are yeah. all just yeah, like they're I mean, all dumb it's... and mean. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's like I don't know, like in American cinema, like Scarface, that kind of thing. Uh, right. I really, I really don't like movies like that. To be honest, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey. um, just, just, <laughs> just, just like idealizing gangster life. It's just. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's I mean, like, worst. you know, or like, I like Scorsese, I, but um, sometimes his movies are just too fun, you know? Mm, exactly. Too, too, uh, too indulgent in that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, after Mimbo, he would do a couple of more movies. Um, in 1993, he would do The Last Dance, uh, a.k.a. Dai Bionin in Japan, which doesn't translate. Like, Dai Bionin does not mean The Last Dance. Dai Bionin means person with a serious condition. Uh, the Last Dance being more of a reference to a particular song in that movie, which also serves as a metaphor for the main character's situation. This director who um, gets cancer uh, and has one year left to live. And the movie kind of goes on and it's kind of like a ticking clock. Like every once in a while you get like a big black screen with a white huge number on it uh, indicating how many days hmm. this person this kind of terrible person has left <laughs> i know yeah i know you haven't seen this one jenna so i'll i'll just you know keep it short but this uh, probably my least favorite one of this that i've seen so far i had but, i had read that he did this one based on his experiences with the japanese health system yeah, after his yeah. yakuza attack yeah there's a little bit of that and that see 
even though I say it's like my least favorite of his, I think it still think uh, think it's a pretty good and entertaining movie um, that has like one really like whacked out crazy death sequence in it that's like straight out of like Twin Peaks to Return um, <laughs> that, that needs to be seen to be believed like some Garmin Bosia shit uh, nice. this guy turning his head like turning into like corn and then like traveling through the afterlife which is like this vapor wave sequence um, it's pretty nutty all right I'm watching but, it. yeah 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 <laughs> I mean the thing that's too bad about this movie though it's a little too focused on this main character obviously but he's this just like old sexist asshole director guy mm. and i feel like the rest of the characters and by extension itami as a director are a little too lenient towards his behavior which wasn't i don't know i didn't really enjoy that as much as these other like nobuko miyamoto vehicles she's in it as his wife kind of estranged wife but again her character aside from like one or two moments just too forgiving of the shit he was pulling and speaking of like pulling punches is the thing i felt itami was doing for the first time in this movie in regards to this character the main character but it's also like you say it was supposed to be an indictment against like the japanese medical world for being allowed to withhold information uh, about serious diseases from the patient like this mm. guy gets cancer but the doctor doesn't tell him because that's hospital policy, but he tells his wife and then it's up to the wife to do with that what she wants. Oh, it's like the farewell <laughs> that mm. came out this year. <laughs> is it? Is it? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's all uh, about, it's the same policy in China, I guess, that if someone's dying, they tell fair. them the, like a, a close relative and... Oh, yeah, same thing. Yeah, same thing, yeah. which is kind yeah. of fucked up, but apparently is, is, is... in the farewell, um, there's there's many levels to it, so... Okay. Maybe do a double feature. I uh, haven't seen that yet, but I do want to see it. But yeah, enough about The Last Dance. In 1995, two years later, he would do uh, a movie that I really enjoyed. But again, you haven't been able to get to that one yet, uh, called A Quiet Life. Uh, Shizuka na Seikatsu, starring Tsutomu Yamazaki and Nobuko Miyamoto, albeit in supporting roles. Um, this is kind of... Um, I'll send the title really a quiet melodrama about the life of uh, this like mentally handicapped young man and the sister who takes care of him after mm. their father and mother go on a trip to Australia. Uh, kind of an atypical Itami movie. Yeah. And it doesn't really revolve around, for example, uh, in the first place, like adult people. It's about to like, I don't know, I want to say like 17, 18 ish, maybe. Mm uh siblings like i said nobuko miyamoto isn't like the main focus of the movie she's in it as a minor supporting character and again this movie doesn't have a whole lot of conflict there is some conflict that kind of like arises in the second half of the movie but again it's the kind of conflict that didn't feel necessary in this movie like it, it's almost like you were itami was expected to put some conflict in that movie because that's just how he knows how to make movies. But it could have honestly gotten by on like these tangential slice of life vignettes, which were just uh, delightful, really. Uh, so it's almost back not... to his 60s movie then. Yeah, yeah, a little. Definitely had some Ozu qualities to it, hmm. but like in an updated way. Um, yeah, really, A Quiet Life is perfect title for this movie uh, it's, it's not necessarily quiet there's some stuff that happens but 
But yeah, also not much in terms of like socio-political messages to this movie. That was just kind of a uh, a little carefree movie about like small human conflicts, but not really like bigger picture stuff. But yeah, I really love this one, and I, I definitely recommend checking this out if you get the chance. Nice. Um, very, just very funny as well. Like most of his movies, in my opinion. But yeah, moving on to a movie that you did get around to. In 1996, his uh, second to last movie, Supermarket Woman. So, yeah, we can spend a little more time on that because I know I really like this movie. And um, my partner, Michelle, it's I think it's like one of her favorite movies. Uh, when I showed it to her toward the end of the movie, she was like, man, this movie has everything. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, I just I always ask her, so like, why do you like Supermarket Woman so much? And she's just like, yeah, I've never seen a movie like this. I can't really think of another movie like this myself. Like, okay, other Itami movies are similar, but I don't know. I guess it was like the entire package for her. She's also like interested in foodie culture, which this sort of ties in with like the supermarket aspect. But whenever we go to like i don't know like last year we we came over to new york we visited you we went to toronto and whenever we go anywhere she wants to go to supermarkets and see like the local oh it's fun yeah it is it is so <laughs> and, and that 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 kind of like fun carefree atmosphere definitely carried over into this movie yeah supermarket woman was really great it was it was bizarrely it riveting mm -hmm. it's basically about a um, honest goro is a failing yeah a supermarket and then like you know something called like deals or something opens up yeah the the the, the title that i saw of the store online was bargains galore bargains but, galore uh, <laughs> yeah yeah but the actual names i i forget the actual names that were used because honest goro isn't the name of the store oh, really but it's kind of like a a, 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 a yeah but it doesn't matter much it's just like names you know well it's basically just like the old school you know supermarket versus mm, yeah. the new like the chain, chain store yeah like thing. like really heavily discounted like abundance of things all mm -hmm. about that marketing kind of place and yeah and like the goro is the one of the owners right and he he basically runs into an old high school um, friend at the bargains place and turns yeah. out that which is um you know uh nobuku miyamoto and and of course <laughs> oh yeah she basically says that she spends all of her time as a housewife in supermarkets so she knows the ins and outs of mm -hmm. them and eventually improves herself to be like completely insightful and useful and then yeah. this it basically turns into her trying to work with every single section of the supermarket and like pump them up and and like get things mm -hmm. going and which then will ends in a sort of a show, like a square off between the two supermarkets, which then ends in like a massive car chase that goes on for yeah. like 20 minutes um, <laughs> between two like trucks, like one like light up truck sign and like and mm. then like an ice truck. And it, it, the whole thing is crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. It's so it's a it's a madcap movie like start to finish um it's just and... so i mean this is again it's about that like turning the mundane into the heroic mm -hmm. and i love totally. that i love it i mean like I, and i can't even like bitch about capitalism in this movie which is kind <laughs> of like you know also the hero in the end but like the thing is that there's just so much i mean there's like the right amount of that tongue-in-cheek ridiculousness and then just that celebration of the little guy i mean like Totally. I, again, like I wish that businesses would watch this movie 
and just realize mm. that like you can make or break a business if you if your um, employees are happy or not or if they feel that like they're yeah. that the work that they're doing is being um, celebrated and, and um, appreciated totally, which is totally, totally the point of this and it's like so universal and it, it applies to anything it doesn't have to just be a supermarket no no that's true that's it's true. like just feeling yeah. proud of what you do and then also quite frankly again tying into the like uh, late bloomer thing I'm like I love <laughs> I love to see like when they take someone who's just like, actually, I spent a lot of time doing this and I know a lot about it. And then she mm -hmm. totally like rocks everyone who's like, hell yeah, they're, they're official. Their job is to do X, Y, Z. And like, but the person in the outsider is the one who has the real information. And I'm like, yes, world, like figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> it's always true. Yes. Yes. Hard agree. And another thing that I really loved about this movie was Nobuko Miyamoto's wardrobe. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Which was just what what was even going on there? Like I I when I watched it and I reviewed it on on, on Letterbox, I was like, she's basically dressed like a twelve year old boy, <laughs> but her parents are Marge Simpson and Ned Flanders. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just beautiful. Everything in the, the movie's so weirdly stylized without being mm -hmm. like. I, it's like if I think of it in my memory, it looks like MTV, but like it doesn't actually look that way. Like it's all pretty straightforward. It's just very yeah, colorful because you're it, in a supermarket. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's not trying to be cool or or edgy right. or whatever. It's 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 kind of like a time capsule 1996 Japan supermarket thing. I I have to assume. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. It's really fun. You should absolutely mm, totally. try and find this if you can because this, this was I think I would say that beyond Tampopo, this is probably the mm -hmm. other like one that you should definitely watch and and would introduce yeah. you to this guy's movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also Absolutely. love the dynamic between um, her and and uh, Goro. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's uh, it's it's Masahiko Tsugawa and Nobuko Miyamoto. They always have like sp very very good chemistry. They really between, do between them. Mm, they do, they do. It's just very. He's a very very funny actor. I've seen him in some couple a uh, couple of other like non Itami movies. There's this. A uh, movie that came out a couple of years ago called uh, Zero Point Five Millimeters, where he's uh, well, obviously an older guy at this point, and he was just hysterical in that movie. Um, nice. Yeah, just just so his 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 wit, his dry wit, is just the perfect match for Nobuko Miyamoto's like uh, natural charm and energy. Um, so good. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. And lastly, and sadly so, uh, in 1997, Itami Wutu Marutai no Ona, which is basically a direct translation, Woman in Witness Protection. Um, so the inspiration for this is probably pretty obvious if you know uh, Itami's history by this point. Um, his run-ins with the Yakuza and having to be guarded against potential threats, like actually having to go around with security guards. Um, again, this movie, though, like uh, a total Nobuko Miyamoto show, uh, just she plays an actress in this movie and she's really leaning into that drama queen persona in a big, campy, glorious way. Oh, she's amazing in this. Yeah, she's this actress oh, who so mistakenly good. witnesses a murder mm -hmm. and by, by like some cult member. I think the cults come back. Yeah. Yeah, it's just her day to day, essentially. And then mm -hmm. I don't know, it, it's a great movie, because there's a lot about 
I mean, number one, Nobuko Miyamoto is a treasure, like 1000%. She's freaking amazing in this. Absolutely. Um, she just gets, she plays all these different roles is because she's this actress, but she's also sort of performing constantly. Mm-hmm. So it's like her totally. performance for her fans and for the news media and for the guys that are following her and for the police mm-hmm. and for the guys that are after her and all of this. And it, and it's really interesting to sort of just see this person who's sort of the keeper of, of the truth of what happened. And, and yet she mm-hmm. sort of never really tells the truth in a way. Mm-hmm. So it's just like a <laughs> like a cool, subtle, interesting. I mean, I didn't know that there was maybe and maybe i missed out and i i would be totally willing to rewatch this because again it's sort of a procedural movie it sort of just tells you about like step by step about what happens and ends in a car chase (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah exactly (laughs) but um i don't know that there was a particular like overarching message that was just beyond this sort of concept of of you know truth and and Mm-hmm. and what it is no, and you yeah, know I like did, did you was. get anything out of this other than that really no not really i think just like um not giving a lot of like commentary on the situation but just like sort of sourcing from real life experiences a bit more similar yeah. to like what what he would do like at the start in the funeral it's more like right. okay we, we've experienced this thing so let's um Let's play it up a little, satirize it, but yeah, it's 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 not like on a level of like um, mimbo or anything. You're right. It's it's a lot like the funeral because it's also not mm-hmm. as funny. It, it it's it mm-hmm. definitely there are moments where you will absolutely laugh, yeah. but it's um it's definitely less on the humor. And the humor yeah, is sort yeah, of incidental. Yeah. If it's funny, it's because it's just Nobuko Miyamoto being hysterical and right, just turning it great. on and off again <laughs> at 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 her will uh which is amazing um so yeah if you like seeing her going all out then it's another great movie what can i say totally um but yeah that was it and in terms of itami's directorial output an abrupt end to a career that was still peaking in my opinion like no signs of like his wit slowing down or whatever, uh, even though he was already 64 at this point. Yeah, he was like making a movie um, a year, basically. I'm, you know, skipping yeah, a yeah, couple years. Yeah, it was. But... Um, but yeah, he died on um, December 20th, 1997. Uh, like I said, age 64 in Tokyo after falling, air quotes, from the roof of a building um, where his office was located. This was after the press published so-called evidence that was basically him sleeping around. Um, Again, evidence, air quotes. uh, Apparently, the suicide letter he left behind denied any such affairs. But yeah, one theory is that Itami's suicide was forced by members of the Gotogumi Yakuza faction. Yeah, a former member of the Gotogumi faction later told uh, journalist Jake Edelstein in 2008, we set it up to stage his murder as a suicide. We dragged him up to the rooftop and put a gun in his face. We gave, him a, we gave him a choice. Jump and you might live or stay and we'll blow your face off. He jumped, he didn't live. So yeah, an interesting tidbit uh, to add to that is the fact that Itami was supposedly planning a movie on the relationship between the Gotogumi gang and the Soka Gakkai religion uh, at the time, which is this huge international buddhist uh cult basically Mm. but yeah i mean there's 
like I said before, there's no way to know what actually happened. There, like the absolute truth has just dissipated at this point, um, I suppose. Yeah, it's, it's so str I mean, I'm kind of inclined to believe that he was murdered, even though at the same time, same. a quote from a gangster that didn't like him anyhow is sort of mm -hmm. not... <laughs> You know, it's like they may as well. It's like, I don't know. It's like whenever ISIS claims they did something when they did it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then you look through his movies and there's always something about cheating. Right. And mm -hmm, there's always true. something about like gangsters. And there's always something about even like in, in that last movie, there's a whole scene where an, a, a lover um, shoots all the gangsters and then kills himself because he says mm -hmm. he's willing to die and, and he'll kill, take them all out with him. And so there's this really weird like. It, you really don't know what what happened, even though you know, as you said, if he, he's planning to make a movie, um, mm -hmm. I, I sincerely doubt that he would have just like killed himself by jumping off a building. <laughs> yeah, same. But like, I don't know. I, uh, yeah, like I said, like experiencing his, his movies, like kind of getting a feel for what kind of uh, movie he was making, movies he was making. I think he would rather choose to jump rather than let some. Yakuza pull a trigger sure. that would end his life. He, he never backed down from a fight. So why would he, at, at, at age 64, working on a new movie, back down out of life at that point? Supposedly because some tabloids saw him auditioning an actress or whatever. Right. And, and also, like, when you spend your like, entire life satirizing Japanese conventions only to end it with suicide, to preserve honor, right? it's, it's a very melodramatic samurai-esque move for someone who's very very down to earth and pretty worldly mm. uh like itami compared to yeah like his peers A again like when he was first attacked by those yakuza after mimbo came out um, his, his response of saying like the yakuza wouldn't really kill anyone and that they're all talk and that by attacking him they just show that he had gotten to their insecurities the fact that they truly are all talk and everything i don't know it just it does not add up for me um obviously i have no proof but it's just the thing that makes sense to me yeah it's very you know? sad but yeah as for i don't know like my overall personal feelings about his movies obviously i love all of these they're all very funny and smart and it's it's very rare that i find a director whose movies i basically all enjoy and sure. like usually usually there's always like a dot here and there but to me these are like a complete package of like satirizing the japanese way of thinking but still managing to be like this very well oiled entertainment machine and have so much forward momentum and purpose and and much more even than any other japanese movie i've seen to this point or, or like even non-japanese cinema it's a rare thing but the thing that japanese cinema has this tendency for driving home like the pathos to a point of self-pity and that that's the thing that these movies never succumb to which is the thing that i really appreciate also the fact that they're comedies but they're not about gags or anything but they still manage to be hilarious right. um just this very like observational sense of humor like slightly whimsical but just really razor sharp commentary at times on specifically like japanese mentality and and it's that mentality which like more than the characters in these movies ends up the butt of the joke yeah i mean this was really fascinating and, and cool and i agree with you that everything's really consistent 
mm-hmm. know, I, I don't, totally. I don't think that I loved him as much as you did, but I certainly, I can't like none of these were any worse than the other. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that feels kind of like an underhanded compliment. I, I know. Okay. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't mean to because I mean my thing with these was like. I mean, I would say these were all for me anywhere from they were four to star to three and a half star movies, which to me is above mm-hmm. average. That's pretty so, good. I mean, I, I liked all of these and I thought they were all worth watching. They are mm-hmm. formulaic, which to me got which to me dragged. Um, mm-hmm. So sometimes it was like a bit it was a bit hard to get through them after a certain point. But mm-hmm. the endings were always pretty well, actually, I mean, I would say the car chase once the car chase starts to happen, I was ready to kind of fast forward. But I watched it all, oh. <laughs> you know, like, it, but it was still like fascinating. It's like the type of movie where even even the moments of boredom kind of got forgotten after the film was over, because mm-hmm. thinking back on it, it was like, well, that was such a wild, crazy movie. <laughs> yeah, totally, I mean, like yeah. even the funeral, I was like, you know, thinking about it again, you know, for this in preparation for this episode. And I was like, at the time, I, the the sex scene kind of almost killed the whole movie for me, and I'm looking back at it now, and I'm like, was it really that bad? You know, <laughs> like <laughs> it was all just so fascinating and cool and interesting. And yeah, I love that. I love anyone in general. I love filmmakers that that buck conventions and are, mm, you know, same. out there with their own voice and their own point of view is always intensely more interesting than, you know, your your run of the mill whatever. So even the stuff that's formulaic, it's like, it's his formula. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like no one does Juzo Itami movies. Right. No, Uh, like not at all. And and I guess actually, I mean, because this is the post anime club, I would (laughs) say that like, I can kind of recognize a degree of that sort of, you know, anime sensibility. And and as you said, that kind of slightly Mm -hmm. whimsical and especially very colorful and, um, and the characters, for sure, I think are recognizable in comics that I've read or, or animes that I've seen and stuff like that. So I would say as far as our scale of would you like this having at once or currently being an anime uh, fan, I would say 1000% <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, same. I think definitely like also in like the specificness of like making a movie about one subject like a supermarket or like a tax collector that's so anime totally i mean yeah and that's always a thing that i appreciate about like anime and manga like okay here's a manga that's like 30 volumes and it's all about baking bread i'm like (laughs) great great i love it let's get into it i want to know all the details and now i know how they make croissants nice (laughs) (laughs) but yeah um and aside from Itami himself, uh, just having been exposed to Nobuko Miyamoto is oh, yeah. just it, it's its own reward. The movie's notwithstanding, it's it's just she's she's amazing, and and we're not alone in her adoration for Nobuko-san either, because uh, she she would uh, in, in total be nominated for eight Best Actress Japanese Academy Awards, uh, winning in '88 for The Taxing Woman. And uh, not too long ago, five years ago, in 2014, she was awarded the Japanese Purple Medal, which is given to individuals who have contributed to academic and artistic developments, improvements and accomplishments. Nice. Which is, yeah, that's pretty rad that she's still being appreciated, even though, you know, like the whole situation around Itami's death basically resulted in her dropping out of the movie business. And requiring police protection for the next 20 years i mean just imagine that like people always 
talk about Itami's death and like the unfortunate circumstances. But imagine having to live two decades with police protection. Yeah, that's sad. That's that's very sad. That's even sadder than just, you know, you die and that's it. There's no suffering. It's just over. But she had to live with that for two decades. The fact that she wasn't able to go back to acting, which I'm sure was her passion. She was so freaking good at it. Right. And I mean, she's she's gone back into acting a little bit now. But yeah, also this entire thing like of her needing police protection, does that also not just add more suspicion to his alleged suicide like right. why would she need police protection if he just killed himself yeah <laughs> i mean that that doesn't add up the, su- the suicide doesn't add up it just doesn't no not even not even the one thing about noboko miyamoto too is that i love that she was an she was an older woman who mm-hmm. you know kept acting throughout uh, past her thirties, God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You no, know, yeah, which again, totally. I would, I would go say is for her, you know, director husband still viewing her as a, as a human being, which is probably the reason why she managed <laughs> to get, you know, starring roles for that long, but she's so awesome in them. It's just one of those things too. It just makes you think about like, you know, what we're missing out on in the world because we, Never want to see a woman over the age of 29. Yeah, I mean, when I'm I'm not entirely sure, like her debut wasn't a funeral in 84, but in the funeral, she was 40. And then in Tampopo, she was, yeah, still around. Well, it came a year later, I think, so about the same age. So her career, like, really flourished from age 40 on. Like, there's another uh, perfect example of a late bloomer who just was the best at what she did. Totally. Yeah. Uh, apparently, she runs the Juzu Itami Museum now, um, which opened in 2007 in Matsuyama on the island of Shikoku. Uh, this is also the birthplace of Juzu Itami's father. And if you want to know more about him too, go check us out at back-row.com. Because uh, Carlo's going to post a big, long thing with this, uh, um, big, long essay about him with a lot more detail and et cetera. So be sure to check that out, too. And absolutely yeah, go and, find and, these and, movies. And, and, no, and no, I have to yeah. because you, <laughs> you just called me out on it. And I can't go back. No, no, I'm, I'm definitely going to do that. I'm definitely going to do that. I put so much work in this podcast, so uh, might as well go that extra mile. I cannot imagine there not being some sort of resurgence at one point for these movies because yeah, they're all like s- still so delightful and they hold up and you know when that eventually happens i hope we at least had a small part in that make it happen world but yeah that's about it in terms of my notes awesome um, is there anything left you wanted to mention? No, I guess, I mean, you know, check out the site for sure. You know, if you like what you hear, we're going to be doing more totally. post-anime um, club episodes. Hopefully not six months in between. <laughs> I apologize. And, and even, take... even if that's the case, they will be quality. They will, Yeah, they will happen <laughs> in one way or another. And, and I take full blame mm. for for that uh, gap. <laughs> but um, at least you had Hose or Horror, which has been fantastic. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, like, tune in, keep it, subscribe, like, review, all that stuff, yeah, please. Yeah, all that stuff. And totally. then go yell at those um, DVD people. <laughs> yeah. Um, as for myself, if you want to, like, at me or whatever, please don't. But <laughs> if you absolutely have to, uh, Carlo Goes Boom on Twitter and Letterboxd. Uh, I watch movies pretty much every day. So if you want to know what I have to say about 
I don't know, Munchie Strikes Back, go to Letterboxd, follow me. Um, Jenna, any place in specific where you want people to interact with you? Uh, or... <laughs> I mean, I'm on a Letterboxd. This is a Letterboxd kind of site, you know, so I'm on Jenna Ipcar on Letterboxd. And, uh, you know, again, if you talk to the site, all the social media is hooked up to my phone, so eventually I'll see it. Word, <laughs> word. I don't push notifications, so but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> eventually one of us will Someone see Someone will see it, yeah. I mean, we multiple people are involved, so... If you have any requests for post-anime club, hit us up. Yeah, let us uh, know. We would let totally take requests. We might listen. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that'll be all for us uh, for this episode. As the Japanese say, Mata ne. Sayonara. That too. <laughs> <laughs>